0: listening to audio from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com.
1: Now would you please join me and stand for the reading of scripture? This morning's scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 44 verses 1 through 8. But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel whom I have chosen Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's, and another will call on the name of Jacob, and another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? you are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? There's no rock. I know not any." This is the word of the Lord.
0: When I was about five or six, I used to love to go to the swimming pool. Uh, Well, I used to love to go to about half the swimming pool. Uh, As long as I was in the shallow end, everything was great, because I could uh, play and splash around, and I could even dunk my head underwater as long as I had solid ground under my feet. I even had this cute, yellow, smiley-faced, floaty vest. It was adorable. But the problem is my parents decided I needed to learn how to swim, and that meant taking off the safety vest and going into the deep end. And I did not want swimming lessons because the deep end means death. At least it did to my five or six year old mind. I told my parents, I don't want to do this. I cried, I argued, I begged, I got swimming lessons. And I started to wonder as I got into these lessons, do my parents care that I'm going to drown? because of these swimming lessons, maybe they really don't have my best intentions at heart. Because if you think about it, it kind of makes sense, right? Deep end equals drowning, so my parents are forcing me to go in the deep end, therefore, they probably don't care whether or not I drown. Now, obviously that wasn't true, and apparently I survived since I'm here, and I can look back at that and kind of laugh a little bit. Uh, Because the reality is, it it made sense at that time in terms of how I was looking at my circumstances and what that said about what my parents thought about me and what their intentions were and whether I could trust them. And it just generated a lot of fear. And maybe there's something like that for you going on in your life. Something that's generating fear, uncertainty, uh, worry. Maybe it's in a relationship. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my parents would argue a lot, and that was was really scary for me because I I didn't know what that meant uh, or how to deal with that. Uh, Maybe you're in a relationship that's just hard, and you're at odds with someone, and it feels like uh, forgiving and loving is somehow kind of a surrender, uh, because you don't see the other person making the steps that they should be making. And and so it feels like, you know, if I take the first step to love and forgive, then, I, you know, I'm going to be at a disadvantage. Or, or maybe it's because there isn't a relationship on the horizon. And that's a worry. And what is the future going to hold? Maybe some of the bigger stuff that's going on in our country. You know, some people look at all the stuff going on in America, around the world, it it feels like maybe things are being falling apart or being pulled apart. And some people wonder what happened to the America, for example, that that I used to know. And, And other people look at what's going on and wonder, is this country ever gonna live up to its creeds and promises for people who don't look like the majority? And for a lot of people, all this uncertainty and stress creates fear and worry and anger and, doubt. Uh, We don't know what God's doing. We don't know where it's going to end up. Maybe it's something closer to home for you. Maybe you've gotten a a scary diagnosis. Uh, You're living with a a painful medical condition, uh, a chronic issue that there just isn't a resolution for. Maybe people that you really care about are making bad decisions that are hurting themselves and others. And it's shaken your sense of confidence and stability. And where do we go with that? Where do we find confidence in the middle of all those realities? Well, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 44. And what we want to see today is how God wants to give us renewed confidence. Did you notice the phrase that is almost kind of a bookend to this passage in verse 2? God says, Fear not, O Jacob, my servant. And then again, down at the beginning of verse 8, Fear not, nor be afraid. There's this encouragement, this comfort, this hope, this invitation from God. And I think it matters a lot how we hear God saying that, right? Because maybe you've even heard something like that. Like you're in the middle of a stressful situation, and somebody just yells out, Calm down! And of course, that just get you more anxious, but it makes a lot of difference whether that person says, it's okay, calm down. Things are in control and things are gonna work out and I know what's going on. What do you fear? What is it that's going on in your life or in the world where, where you need reassurance, where you're looking for confidence and, and you wanna know there's a reason not to fear? that was a reality for the people that Isaiah is writing to, who, depending on how we date this section of Isaiah, he was either writing in advance to people who were going to go into exile or writing to the people who were in exile because of their disobedience and the rebellion against God. And now they're Suffering, they're being disciplined for their bad choices. And it seems like all of God's promises, all of God's purposes are on hold. They're forgotten because they're not where they should be and nothing good is going on. And it's impossible to see how anything good could come out of this. Sounds like us maybe in some ways. And those are the people to whom Isaiah is writing to give renewed confidence. We're continuing in this look through the... 40, chapter 40 to 49 in Isaiah, looking at God's heart for weary people. And that's what we wanna hear today. So if you're following along, taking notes, uh, kids, if you're taking notes or following along at home, here's the, the key idea of where we find confidence. Confidence comes from seeing God's heart. Confidence comes from seeing God's heart. I think that's what Isaiah is trying to communicate to us here in chapter 44. Not to find hope in ourselves, not to find hope that our circumstances are somehow going to get better. There's no promise here that everything's going to turn out right now the way that we want it to. And God is certainly not saying, just believe in yourself and work hard enough and it's going to be great. You no, know, it's a much better confidence and a much better hope than that. So let's dig in. And I want us to see three ways that God helps us see confidence as we see his heart. The first is right in the opening chapters, opening verses of chapter 44. Confidence comes from knowing God's kindness. Confidence comes from knowing God's kindness. Do you hear the love, the compassion, the gentleness that comes out of these verses? But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, but much more than a servant, Israel, my people whom I have chosen. I made you, I formed you from the womb, and I will help you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, O Jacob. Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Now that word Jeshurun is an interesting one. It only appears like three times in the Old Testament, and it's sort of a nickname that God gives to Jacob or figuratively to his people. And it's sort of a term of affection and endearment, most scholars think, but it's a little ironic because it, it comes from the root that means to be upright, to be straight. And if there's ever someone that that would not apply to, it's Jacob. I mean, his name literally means contender, wrestler, trickster, heel grabber, the, the, the guy that you don't leave your bike guarded by when you go into the store. And yet God says, no, Jacob, you are really Jeshurun in my sight. You are, in my eyes, my beloved one, my righteous one, my upright one. And, and then God goes on to say, not just to these exiles, but extending that uh, through all who would trust in him. Look at this promise in verse 5. For, for those who call out to him, for those who trust in him, one will say, I am Yahweh's, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob. Another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. Do you see God's heart? Not just for the people who already know him, but but he's he's saying, my heart is for all people that don't know me, and, and I want to give roots and identity and draw them into this community of grace and goodness and kindness. Isn't that what we long for, to be known, to be named, to be loved? Do you see the kindness of God in that? Okay, embarrassing uh, but meaningful remembrance for me. My uh, mom's mom was a really sweet grandmother. She passed away when I was about nine years old, but I remember she had this little name for me. I was, you know, this blonde, dimpled little baby, and I was the youngest, and so I was her lammy pie. <laughs> Feel free to use that lammy pie at faithliveitout.org. And uh, Brittany will get on forwarding that to my email. That meant so much. This is 45 years later. And I still remember that because that name that she gave me was an expression of her kindness, her love. That's what's going on here. What is the name that you give to yourself? Is it a reflection of God's kindness? Because here God's kindness is poured out over and over to undeserving, unworthy people to Jacob and his descendants to tricksters to liars to the untrustworthy to to people who have simply been saved by his grace. I was at the car, you know, quick change place yesterday and uh, man, I <laughs> no offense to those people, it's nothing they do wrong, but that going to those places just fills me with kind of an anxiety because I know they're going to run the report and convince me I need to get this thing and I need to have that updated and I Had them go ahead and do some service that i probably really didn't need and as i'm driving away i mean already i'm telling myself oh you dummy why did you do that you knew better than that i put a name on myself it's not the name that god gives me it's not a name of kindness it was not a name of love and affirmation and acceptance and identity what are the names that you give yourself I mean, maybe they're not bad names. Maybe it's, I'm successful, I'm accomplished, I'm smart, I'm competent, I'm likable, I'm attractive, I've, I've got all these things going on. There's no kindness in defining ourselves that way because someday we will not live up to those things. And then what happens to our identity and our confidence when I'm not who I've told myself I am? The kindness of God is being known and named by him, and and this imagery even of uh, writing on his hand the Lord's. And and if we think about that, I I think maybe there's even a little hint here that Isaiah gives of how that's going to happen as we look to Jesus and what was written on his hand as he poured out his life on the cross and nails were driven into his hand and a spear in his side and his love was written in his own lifeblood given to give us a new name out of his kindness. Is that your identity? The kindness of God to you in Jesus Christ? And then I've been thinking, what names do I give to other people? especially people that disagree with me, people that I'm at odds with, my beloved, the one I've chosen. If we've known the kindness of God in Jesus Christ, how is that pouring out of our lives to others? And what names are we giving them? Does it reflect God's kindness to me as an undeserving person? because we have this marked on us as the sons and daughters of God's grace. I belong to the Lord. I am a child, I am a daughter, I am a son of God by grace. That's where confidence comes from. Not from beating myself up over mistakes, not from confidence in what I've accomplished or can produce, but I belong to the Lord. Just because these people were living in Babylon did not mean they had to live like Babylonians. And just because we're living in America does not mean we have to be defined by what the culture around us says. Your life and mine tell another story in the way that we act, the way that we live, the way that we speak, the identity and the confidence and the name that we have in Jesus Christ. I know you, God says, you are mine. Because confidence comes in knowing God's kindness. And then secondly, confidence comes from trusting God's intentions. Confidence comes from trusting God's intentions towards us. Look in verses 3 and 4, and what God says he will do, he wants to do, he is doing. I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground and pour my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants, and they'll spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Do you get this picture? What does that make you think of? It's, it's, it's like an oasis. It's refreshment. It's, it's life. It's flourishing. There's, there's God saying, I, I want to bless you. I want to bless the t- place that I have you. I, I want to give you strength. I want to give you hope. I want to give you joy. I want to give you my life. I want to fill you with my own spirit. I mean, that's the the core of the promise in verse three in the middle of this passage, right? I will pour out my spirit. And and it's not like just a few drops here and there. I mean, look at the repetition here. I will pour water on the thirsty streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit out like willows by flowing streams. You know, when we say it's pouring outside, we're saying it's not misting, it, you know, it's not a little overcast, it's, it's not a light sprinkle. We're saying you go out, you're going to get drenched. And that's the image here that God says of what he's going to do with his spirit for his people to bring life, that one day he says a day will come when I will pour out my spirit and my people will be filled, filled and nourished Continually. Uh, the word uh, land there in the end of, middle of verse 3, beginning end of the first part of verse 3, I will pour out water on the thirsty. It's not even there in the original. It literally is just I will pour out water on the thirsty. And land is just there to help make sense of the imagery. It, it's pointing to a, a greater reality, that, that God would do something among his people so that our, our deepest longings would be satisfied Or at least in knowing God, we would taste enough satisfaction in Him to know where to come back to drink again and again and again to find life. And what that means is, when God says, I will pour out water on the thirsty and streams on dry ground, that if we have known God's kindness and we are trusting in His intentions to us, We're like trees that have roots sunk down deep, deep, deep underground, even in dry desert reality. And that may describe your life right now. It may be a period of dryness and longing and thirst, and yet God promises that sinking our roots down into him, we will find fullness and satisfaction. That's his intention in what he's taking you through, in what you're going through, and what we're going through, and what we're experiencing. His intention is not to burn you out, to overload you, to wear you down, to to burden you with guilt, but to give you life and joy and, and, and a satisfaction of what your soul is longing for. And we get thirsty and worn out and weary because either we're afraid that misery and pain is coming or that happiness is not coming, but do you hear the promise of God that even now we get an experience of that and that one day there will be a reality, an ultimate reality in which there will be no more hungering and thirsting. And we experience what that looks like, even some now, like like a tree that sinks its roots down deep to the nourishment. And there's a promise there and a hope that if we root ourselves in God's Word, in God's promise, in the hope of His intentions and the promise of His character, that we will know refreshment and life and nourishment. Because this confidence, this confidence of God's intention comes from I think reminding ourselves, meditating on the promises and the assurances that God gives us of who he is for us. Because the stuff going on in my life tells one story. It Maybe it tells a story of failure or discouragement or longing or dissatisfaction. The story that God tells me in his word and his intentions is one of fulfillment and joy and life and hope and confidence and The confidence comes from reminding myself of God's intentions to me. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Greater is he that is in me than the one that is in the world. There's a confidence that comes from reminding ourselves of what God says about us and who he is for us, that Jesus says, I have come to give them life and give it abundantly in the middle of the dryness of the reality of our lives. And and the way to have that confidence and that power is by drawing deep on the resources of God's Word by His Spirit who lives in us because the Spirit who inspired this Word is the Spirit that God promises to pour out again and again and again on His people as we lean on Him and live in Him. And then that confidence overflows with hope. God's intentions give us confidence because his intent, his purpose is to do good and to bring life. And then confidence comes from resting in God's commitment. It's great to know that I am known and loved and it's wonderful that God intends to do good, but is he actually going to do anything about it? Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Do you hear what God's saying there? That that confidence comes from resting in his commitment, because who is going to stand against God's purposes? For you, for me, for his church, for the gospel. I am Yahweh, the king over his people, the ruler, my people's redeemer, the one who rescues them, the Lord of the angel armies of heaven. I am the first and the last. There's no one before me. There's no one after me. There's no one with me. There's no one fighting against me. There's no other God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare it and set it before me. Who, you know, we joke about uh, whether men make predictions and, you know, they do great if they're 50% right. That's better than I can do. I couldn't be 50% accurate about what's going to happen tomorrow or the next week or the next year. Who can proclaim what's going to happen tomorrow? Nobody, nobody except this Lord. He has yesterday, tomorrow, and forever in his hand, and no one can stand against him. Therefore, fear not and be not afraid. Haven't I told you from old and declared it, and you are my witnesses? How many times in your life has God demonstrated his commitment to fulfill his good intentions for you. How many times has God shown himself to be faithful and trustworthy, to provide what you needed, to bring encouragement, to bring support, to bring help? That's why so much of the Psalm, so much of the Bible is God saying, remember, 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 because we forget. And it's important, helpful for us to go back and remind ourselves of what God has told us and how he has been faithful. So that in this thing I'm in the middle of right now, I'm not tempted to think, well, I don't know if God's going to come through this time. I don't know if, you know, maybe it's not going to work out the way God intends. There is no other rock. There is no other foundation. What else am I going to build my life on? Political leaders, parties, platforms, promises, economics. Financial stability, career advancement. Oh, there's nothing. God is the only God. He's the only confidence that will never let us down. Why does God go on to tell us this? Not, Not to blow us away, not to look for our applause. I mean, He deserves worship, He's praiseworthy. But to tell us, fear not fear not, don't be afraid. There's no other God besides me. There's nobody competing with me. There's nobody in anything that's going on in the world, anything going on in your life that's going to undo my plan and purposes. There's no competition. The God to whom we belong is Yahweh, the King over His people, our Redeemer, the Lord of heaven and earth, the first and the last, the only one who has the ability and the authority to proclaim and direct everything that happens. Man, do I need to hear that this week, this last year. In your life, in my life, there's nothing random. There's nothing unforeseen. There's nothing that's caught God by surprise. There's nothing out of God's control. It's out of our control. And man, we've all realized that this last year. It is never out of God's control. And his commitment is to fulfill everything that he has said he would do. There's no other redeemers. There's no system or party or person or platform or or agenda that's going to bring about the kingdom of righteousness and joy and peace on this earth except God himself. It doesn't mean we're apathetic. It doesn't mean we don't care about what happens in this world. We care deeply because we want this world to look more like what God intends. But we're never going to get there in our own power. And yet God's commitment is to work through his people to make a difference in this world that's his commitment too he's the rock he's the foundation and because of that there's no reason to panic there's no reason to fear there's no reason to look for secret wisdom or insider information to find out what's going on or what's really happening behind the scenes god is the one behind the scenes who's in charge of everything confidence comes from resting in god's commitment To do everything he has said he will do. Fear not. Makes a lot of difference how we hear that. And God does not say to shame us, to condemn us, to tell us to get our act together. It's an invitation, it's an encouragement, it's a reminder just like I could look back now and see with the perspective of maturity and reminding myself who my parents are and and the whole history of our relationship, that their intention was not to drown me. They were actually doing me a kindness to try and help me learn how to swim. I had a hard time believing it. And yet, they had the ability to carry out their plans for sure with a six-year-old boy, and they were good plans. Not all the things that happen in our lives are good things, and yet we have a Father much better who stands above and behind and in everything, whose nature towards us is kindness, whose intention is life and satisfaction, and whose commitment is to do all that He has promised for His people. Fear not. Fear not for you are the Lord's. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this word, this reminder and encouragement to us, your people who can be so fearful, so confused, so doubting of your character, your purposes, your promises. Oh God, help us to hear your word to us again. Help us to trust in you, And especially if there are any who have never trusted in you, who've come to know Jesus as the first and the last, the Savior. I pray that today you would open hearts to respond to that invitation. Pour out your Spirit, Father, on us. Our souls are weary and thirsty, and we need you. Give us confidence in you, Father, and your heart for us.
1: We pray in Jesus'
0: name. Amen.